kind of old-fashioned cop who preferred working the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion. He was the closest thing New York had to a dirty Harry. This is One Tough Podcast on the OG Podcast Network. Here's your host, Bo Deedle. Welcome to One Tough Podcast. I'm joining in like always with my producer here, Carlo. Hi, Carlo. Good morning, everybody. Uh, today we have a very interesting guest and her writer with her. Uh, we have Dawn Hannah. Uh, she's a writer. Uh, she's a she's the she's the guest. We also have Lynn Kowas. Lance Kowas, yes. Lance Kowas is the screenwriter of the story. Did we write a book yet? She's yes. writing the book. I oh, wrote we the okay, but we have a screenplay, yes. and my friend Tadros Jr. is going to be producing it. He's produced a lot of stuff. This is a very interesting story because when you, you, you go to the movies and you see these stories, you can't believe. Uh, Dawn Hanna is a very brave woman, and uh, she was someone who got caught up unwillingly with a CIA uh, operation in Iraq, and then all of a sudden she was incarcerated for six years for doing nothing, as far as the story goes. And we're going to talk about that right now. She was convicted on uh, violating an embargo. Uh, I guess that was during the time of Saddam Hussein? Yes. Okay, this is all about now about Iraq. Now, Saddam Hussein is in charge of Iraq at this time, keeping all the bad people in check. You, know, you feel what you want about Saddam Hussein, but, I mean, he was keeping people in check. And uh, this is when George Bush Jr. came into effect, right? Yes. Jr., I call him Jr., so that's 43? George 41. W. Yep. 41 is the one I know, right? The one I it was in the White House. With. Yeah, 41, 43. I used to call him Fredo because he was the guy that wasn't supposed to be the president. All but right. then the uncle got mad, so we don't call him Fredo. President uh, Bush, 43. So why don't we tell this story and the background. You're, you're, you, were, you were 29 years old at the time, and you worked with your brother, Darren. Yes. And what did you do? I was a broker. Um, we had a technology company, so I was pretty much a broker, buying and selling, used. What drugs. kind of technology? Anything. Um, we At this point, we got into that calling card business before the ones you scratch off and you can call for a penny a minute, and we started working with some yeah. of those back in the and day. And where were you based out of? Michigan. In Michigan. Okay. So let's fast forward. You started that in 2001. 2002, what happened? I was approached by a man who wanted to procure um, a lot of infrastructure equipment with no software. He told me it was for a group in Turkey. I went over to London. I found a pretty much a recycling company that pulled out the old Vodafone switches, mm -hmm. and I sold them to him. And so you pr you started to put together an IT company. Yeah, we had a we had an IT company hardware, and then we kind of moved into infrastructure, and then telecom was booming, and you know everything overseas where people were trying to. You know, put uh, networks together, cell phones, your um, calling cards, long distance. We kind of dabbled in all that. I mean, this is the important thing now. The person that called you, who was that person? Uh, his name was Imad El-Yawar, and he was a businessman from Jordan, um, family based in the U.S. He was a Kurd against Saddam, asked me to supply him telecom equipment. and. But he was a Kurd, but he asked you to supply telecom equipment. Did he mention, obviously, did he say it was for Iraq? No, he said it was for a U.S. operation, and he was very vague about it. A U.S. operation. Did you feel like kind of like this doesn't sound right at that point? No, I didn't because all of our meetings were in Washington, D.C., and he was specifically looking for things from the U.S. He wanted to work with a U.S. company, and everything was based here and in London. And what kind of telecom uh, equipment? GSM, the cell phones. GSM? The cell phones, yep. Cell phones. Now, did they, did we, they have GPS at that time? No. It no. wasn't embedded yet? No. It was not embedded yet. So it's GSM, the global system for mobile. Yeah. So you were getting this equipment uh, from Vodafone, which was a, a wireless provider in the U.K., yep. and then you were recycling it and selling it to this gentleman. Yeah. To this guy, and he said it was for use where? He said it was going to Turkey. He wanted it containerized, and he had specific requirements on how to put it together, and I just pretty much brokered it. Did you contact anyone from our Department of State or any of our Commerce Department? I did. About I did. doing work with a foreign country? Yes. I mean, there is 
Right. right. So what happened with that? Well, I was doing some humanitarian items, some food things. So I was contacting the United Nations, the Oil for Food Program. I contacted the Department of Commerce. They said, no, your customer. So no, so no, wait, the Department of Commerce, you make contact and said, look, I have a customer that wants to buy telecom equipment to go to Turkey. At that point, Turkey, I guess, was an ally, right? Yes. A NATO ally also at that yep. time, right? Yeah. So now... You've contacted them. Did you have to do any type of, uh, of um, what's what is it? paperwork? Yeah, any kind KYC, of paperwork so know your the customer Department of Commerce for you to ship stuff over to uh, you know foreign countries. No, they told us to get a declaration from our customer, and he was happy to sign it that he complied with all the laws of the United States. He told you this. No, he signed it. The guy who put, brought you in. Imad. Uh, Imad, our customer. Yeah, he sold, but I'm talking about, look, if I have a company here with, with, with Carlo, and then all of a sudden we're going to start shipping stuff, I'd be a little leery, even though I ship stuff to China or wherever the heck it is, that we have the department, that we have a commerce department, yeah. that I want to make sure everything's dotted and crossed. That would be my concern. Did you do that at all? Yes, we did. So you have records from the Department of Commerce, what you were doing was okay? Well, they didn't say it was okay. They said, know your customer, get a signed contract, get a signed affidavit, which we did. You didn't need anything else with that? That's why I'm a little baffled, because right? I've gone into some sort of stuff where I was dealing with foreign countries, and there would be some sort of a declaration that you had to get from the Department of Commerce to sell overseas. No? No, I didn't, no. We just oh. basically supplied it to him, and he picked it up. But it was coming it. from England. It was coming from the UK, and it didn't mm -hmm. have any tech, it didn't have any software on it. So it wasn't leaving the United States over there. No, it was all bought. Oh, and okay. I thought it was. England. I thought you were shipping it from the United States. Then you would yeah. have that concern. So you made a deal with shipping stuff from the UK to. You thought it was going to Turkey to this fellow. What was his name? Imad. Iman. Imad. Imad. With a D, right? Yeah. Imad. Okay. So Imad told you this is all good and all that. So what kind of monies were you supposed to be making with this? Um, well, the project was in $5 million phases. It was $5 million phases, and they had lists of equipment that they wanted. They wanted um, um, switching stations, base stations. They wanted handsets, uh, calling cards. It was all a variety of things. Uh-huh. So now you started doing this. Well, what kind of money was involved with you making um, you know, our letter, first letter of credit was $4.9 million, and once we gave the shipping documents and they handed over the equipment to Imad, we cashed the letter of credit, we discounted it, we paid our suppliers, we had so a So they paid you directly into the United States, into you, your bank? Bank of New York. Into Bank of New York. So was the first deal, first deal was what, for four point what? Nine. $4.9 million. So you shipped, you did the shipping, you got four point nine to your bank. Okay. Yes. And that was in 2001. Uh, 2001. Okay, now we're into 2002. What happens next? Um, our shipments start getting stopped. The war is looming. They're having this summit over there with, um, I think, Tony Blair and was it George Bush? Yeah, George Bush. Was right. When, when did we when did we attack? Uh, in it was that? March of 2003. March okay. 2003. So this is prior to us attacking Iraq. But this is the yes. buildup. This is when Colin yeah. Powell was going in front of the UN. Yes. This is when yeah. we have uh, the dossier prepared this by Ahmed Halabi. This is when Ahmed supposedly the, uh, the yellow uh, cake uranium. Yeah. This was when supposedly they had all the. Uh, uh, weapons of destruction, yes. destruction, nuclear weapons, when, uh, chemical. This when told our government <clears throat> that we need to have chemical suits and things like that because there's gas and nerve agents. Okay, so that was the first deal, and that was in 2000 and... This was around 2001-ish, 2000, 2001 was a 4.9. Now, what was the next thing you heard from uh, Iman? Um, he wanted more equipment, and he wanted it containerized, and he was switching... Um, Speeds. He said, let's hold off, let's put it in containers, let's, you know, he was coming back and forth to Washington, he was in London, he was, um, you know, having me buy stuff, and it was kind of like a waiting game. But it was all bought out of out of England? Yes, it was all bought out of so England. So nothing was coming from the United States, any of our technology of any kind being shipped out of the United States? No, just me. That was it. So, in other words, you were brokering a deal. Where would you find these places in in England for you to to do this? There were a lot of brokers that were offering equipment, and I actually made a cold call to a recycling company, and that was all the equipment that every broker was offering, and I just bought it direct. And now you went through 2001, 2002. Yeah. 
And okay, when did this whole thing explode? And what? How did it all explode that you were actually, you know, being looked at by somebody? Some of our shipments were getting stopped at customs. We had. But where was it getting stopped? From England to. From Alleged England. Turkey? Yes. And then there was a shipment of dredging equipment, like a, a traffic light system out of Texas that he had purchased. Oh, himself. wait a second. Now we got something we, out of Texas. Yeah, there was something out of Texas. It was unrelated. He bought something, and our name was on the manifest, and that got stopped. So we went to, co- to cooperate with customs. We told them, this is what it is. This is our manuals. This is where it's going. And then it just spiraled down from there. Everything just got stopped. So now... So that was the first time that something came from the United States that was being shipped out, right? Yeah. So now we have a direct correlation with the United States of stuff being shipped out. That was my whole question. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that was sort of like a side shipment. Of yeah, but I think debate. that's the thing that lit them up. Because if you just continue to move stuff from London to Turkey or wherever it ended up, that would be then you'd be investigated by MI six from the from from England instead of being investigated by the United States because all the action was going on from London to, to But we were investigated over there. And then they dismissed the case. MI six investigated you? Uh, customs and excise. Right. So but. they they investigated all these shipments of telecom stuff from England to mm-hmm. Alleged now did where did they get shipped to? Did you know they went to uh Istanbul? Where where did they go? No, there a lot of it got held in the UK. Yeah. Some of it I was told ended up at the Baghdad International Airport after the invasion for the US Army. But when it got shipped from London, where was the where was the point of uh you know, where was it be that you knew of? I mean, did the package say London to Istanbul or London to Baghdad? <laughs> no, it didn't. It said London to Mersin, Turkey, and then there was one shipping document that it was going to Syria that he picked up, and then it disappeared. What do you mean that Imad? Imad picked up. It picked it up in London. He picked it up in London. What he carried on his back over there? No, or? he picked it up with the shipping document. <laughs> okay, so he picked it up in London. <laughs> he had his freight forwarder collect it. My company name was on it, and it was in transit. It was kind of like. Holy, that's why things were getting held and things were going to Turkey and things were going to Syria and it was all just stopped. So now all of a sudden we, we find that someone dropped a dime on you. Yes. Dropped a dime means somebody called up Homeland Security. Who, what, and where? What's that all about? You know what? My case is sealed. Um, I To this day, I don't know. Uh, they said there was a confidential informant. I, I really don't know. Now, the thing is, yeah, you were made. So you made the four four point nine million. How much more money had you made? There was another four point nine million dollar letter of credit that came yeah. in, and you we, made that. No, we had to refund a lot of that uh, back to that crashed down. Yes, because those shipments got stopped, and then after the invasion, he said he wanted to cancel some of the goods. So we kept a profit on a small bit of items, and we gave him the difference back. Do you think that you know, from my experience? Your, your relatives or people that knew you knew you were making some good money there and was jealousy, possibly the the motive behind contact of Homeland Security. Do you ever think of yeah. the, who would have been the person? Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. yeah. You have some ideas, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Because yeah, I know from my experience in investigations, mm-hmm. the worst thing is when people think you're making money and they're not, they get jealous, they drop a dime on you. Yeah. And that's what happens. So now this triggered a six-year investigation, right? Um, yep. So I'll bring us through it. Well, I'm getting investigated and, you know, the years are going by. The invasion is over. Um, you know, we're trying to regroup and do some business with Imad. He wants more things. Now, from- what year are you talking about that? We're about 2004 right now after oh, the invasion. Now you're at 2004. So he, Imad was still in the picture even after the invasion? Yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Um, so he was, again, having contacts with Washington. Um, he was back in Iraq. Um, he had a lot of business dealings in Jordan. He was in London. He's a British citizen. He's a British citizen yes. in month. Okay. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, he was giving us some tenders of items that they wanted. They wanted food. They wanted humanitarian supplies for after the war. There was everything. Um, and, then, and then as, like, 2005 crested, it sort of it got really um, quiet, and and then in about two thousand six or seven, you know, Imad was talking about the politics and how certain companies were getting contracts. And At that point, we were there. We were there. We yeah, we put up GSM. We put up everything, 
And Imad sort of kind of started phasing out, and he was kind of being cynical about the U.S. government and how contracts were being given and promises that were made. And then within a year or two, people were getting subpoenas for a grand jury investigation. So is that when you found out that you were target of an investigation? Yes. Yep. Okay. Now, what did you find out about the CIA's involvement? I didn't find that out until after I was, uh, I had gone through the trial and I was sentenced. Okay, so that was the first time you learned that the CIA was involved. So let's back up a little bit. So the investigations go on, their subpoenas going out, and who are they going out to? Your business associates? Business associates, employees, uh, people that worked with us, uh, vendors. In Michigan? In Michigan, yes. And London, too. I think in London. I got some of the discovery, but, yeah, mostly in Michigan. Okay, so now we're fast forward to 2006. We're in there. We're embedded in there. The United States is in somewhat control. And uh, then all of a sudden, Iman kind of waved out of this? Yeah, he's sort of, you know, chasing Were you doing any work up until 2000? When was the last time you did anything with Iman? Uh, About 2004. 2004 was the end of any kind of work. So this whole thing is in the context of uh, 2001 to 2004? Yes. Okay. So that's what, this is what the target is right then and there. So now you ended up getting subpoenas, yep. right? Did you speak to, who did you speak to, FBI or CIA? Customs. Oh. All customs. United States Customs. Was there any FBI agents involved with the interrogation of you? No. So it was all United States Customs. And, I mean, did you get a lawyer right away? Yes, definitely. Okay. And who was your lawyer at that time? At that time, um, we had, I'd been represented by Mike Rattai out of Detroit. And my brother. What was his background? um, Criminal um, investigations. And he suggested. Federal? Federal. Yeah. What was his feeling on the whole thing? Let's go down and talk to them. Bring everything you have. Cooperate. Tell them the truth. Show them the documents. And we went. And then when you went down there, you were very cooperative with them. You told them everything you knew. You told them how much money was transferred to your bank account. There was nothing hidden. No, they had it all anyway. And they had it all. And the questions they asked you were what? Business questions, transactional, what were you doing? They did ask me if I was involved with illicit trade with Iran and Iraq, and I said no because I wasn't. And uh, they asked for documentation, and they showed us pictures of shipments and things like that. Shipments from from London, from London to a, alleged Turkey. Yeah, the paperwork. Now the paperwork there was it earmarked for Turkey that you know of, or would they slap another? Uh, uh, they could have done that. That's my point. Yeah. My point is, I mean, you weren't standing there putting a label on there to uh, Istanbul, Turkey. You just would sign papers thinking that it was going there, right? Yeah, we handed it off to Imad and his group and his company. So in other words, once you handed it off to him, you didn't know what the sticker said. No, because his freight forwarder picked it up. They were containers. So they could have sent it anywhere. to Red China. Yes. You wouldn't know where it went. To. That's my point. My yep. point is your, your, your exposure was, hey, wait a second. I sent it to this guy, Imant, and he told me it was going there. And that was the only knowledge I had. I didn't have my office here. If I have all the equipment sitting around here and I put the, the state on, I call up UPS, then I think it's going where it's going. But your whole involvement was not being involved with the actual shipping. Am I correct? Correct. And I hardly, sometimes I never even saw the equipment. It was just boxed up. We bought it sight unseen based on How many trips did you make over to London? Well, I lived there for on and off. I was there. um, So most of the time during this transaction time between 101 and uh, 2004, you were in London. I was. You weren't in Michigan. No, we had an office here, but I would travel. because. So you were a United States citizen (laughs) in London. Okay. All right. Now, the only thing is we're we're talking about that one. Were you charged with anything from the United States? That one issue was that one piece of equipment that you mentioned. Were you charged on that? No, I believe that one was the one count that was dismissed. That was one not guilty on. So I don't see how the United States Customs would be involved with England to Turkey or Iraq, Iraq. How did United States Customs, United States Customs is involved with United States. So I don't understand that. So it had to be a joint effort of the English Customs with our United States Customs. But if you're not transporting property from the United States overseas, and that's not the subject of the investigation, I'm baffled about that. Well, they charged him with conspiring to break the trade embargo with Iraq. 
So you as an American citizen, because I'm an American citizen. So you were charged by United States Customs by transferring property from London to Baghdad. You as a United States citizen, I guess that would come into play, right? Well, they said that I had knowledge that it was going to Iraq. What were the actual charges? How many charges were you charged with? Eight or nine counts of conspiracy to break the trade embargo with Iraq, um, money laundering, and making false statements. Where had the money laundering come in? I don't know because we— You claimed—I mean, it went right into the United States bank account. It came right Did to you, Bank of America. When you got $4.9 uh, $4. You paid your taxes? Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Because a lot of people don't realize you can make... Uh, <laughs> I was involved with a, an arms deal with Saudi Arabia when I was a New York City detective for $250 million. Malinka rifles, water cannon trucks, everything. And uh, the one of the princes over there had me involved, and I then got a licensed gun dealer in the United States, and we were right up ready to do a major deal. And he said, oh, well, I will send your money to Switzerland <laughs> and to an account in Geneva. It never happened, but little did I know by sending that money to Switzerland, <laughs> I could have been breaking the law myself as a United States citizen, not claiming income. No, we pay taxes. You'll learn these things yeah. as you get as you older. So I can talk about it. Now, anyway, the statute of limitations is long over. But I never got the uh, – I was going to get a $15 million commission. That wow. didn't happen. <laughs> but a lot of people don't understand. If you profit, even if you're outside the United States, that could be concerned as money laundering. Yeah, and uh, and we did, we paid taxes. There were no IRS issues or anything like so that. So no IRS issues, just the charges of conspiring, conspiracy to willfully violate embargo. So they felt as though you had knowledge. Now, when you went to trial and you had your defense and all that, what were they able to prove that you had knowledge? What did they bring up during your trial? Mostly emails, just a bunch of shuffled emails. And what did the thing say? Uh, what's going there? What did it say? Uh, there's things going to Jordan. We're talking about the oil for food program, and they jumbled everything together. I mean, they took basically four years worth of email and, and put the timeline like this, just crunched it in. Right. And, and you know, they're show and they had me looking like a weapons dealer at yeah, one point. Yeah, but did they have any emails that had you looking at an email that said it was going to land? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, not this, but there were a lot of things. I, I mean, I was working with the Oil for Food program, so there were all kinds of emails talking about it. So Iraq. let's clarify that, because the yeah. Oil for Food program was sanctioned. That's right, and this totally, was an item under That's allowed. That. Yes. Yeah. It was it, before the Iraq invasion, there was a program by the U.N. where Iraq would sell oil in exchange for some humanitarian goods, right. necessary items, things like that. So they tried to portray that since you were dealing with that, uh, aspect of Iraq that this equipment was also going to Iraq. Correct, exactly. And this was an item that was on that list, but for politics and things, I don't think they ever got it. So let's back up just a little bit more. So you, you said you were fully cooperating with Customs. Yeah. You were going there with your attorney. When did you find out that you were uh, indicted? Was that Did that come as a shock, or did you see it coming? Well, they came uh, with an, a search warrant, took documents from our office, very broad, took everything. In London? In, or? in Michigan. In, in Michigan, but you had an office in London. Were yeah. you ever were you ever investigated without a search warrant in London? No. Quite unusual. I mean, if I'm investigating, if the shit is going from there, <laughs> I would want to have a search warrant in London. And we have a, we have a very good treaty with London. I don't understand why that would have been a search warrant there. That's where the property was leaving. The same color. Yeah, I, 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 I think they went to our freight forwarder or Imad's freight forwarder. They picked all the freight documents, so they may have done their own type of search, but not our office physically. Well, you don't have knowledge of them maybe doing a search warrant in London. Do you have any knowledge during your trial that it come out that a search warrant was issued in London in your London office? No, you don't, and that never came out during the trial. No. You know, just just to me, if I'm the investigator, I, to put my whole puzzle together. I'd want to get to that freight folder out of, out of London to establish the knowledge factor of my American citizen, no? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. So you were indicted, and did they come and raid you and arrest you that same day? No, no. no they just raided our office, and they, they did go to the freight forwarder in London that I know of, Customs, and they downloaded everything they needed. But the, I don't know if that was through a search warrant. But was that brought up during the trial? Well, you were there during the yeah. trial, right? Yeah, I was there during the trial. I mean, yeah, you they, sat there during yeah. the trial. They didn't do a trial without you, right? <laughs> no, they did. Okay, no, they so did. that's I'm my point. Is yeah. During the trial, 
Did any of this come out about them going to London yes. office? Freight forwarders there and established the fact that they did something in London? Yeah, they did. They got shipping records from London. Shipping records from London. And your, our name obviously was on it. On top. Did, we don't know if they got emails from your office in London that established that it was some sort of a connection. Well, you were at the trial. I wasn't yeah. there. You got to tell me what happened during the trial. Uh, there were a lot of emails. Most everything was on email from the trial. Which was, was very circumstantial. Yeah, definitely. So what was the most negative part that hurt you? Um, I just think a lot of uh, involvement with Iraq and talking about um, just shipments going through Jordan and a lot of different projects going on, and they laid them all out as like it's all one big thing. Everything you do is going. So to they Iraq. portrayed you as you know you're a terrorist sympathizer. How did that feel that they're you know lumping you in as a national security threat? Did they actually threat accuse like you of being a terrorist sympathizer? No, they tried to say I. Helped. I mean, were you a political person? No, I was not. Not at all. No. No, not me. So during your trial, again, we weren't there. So you got to tell us more. Bring us into that trial. What was alleged there in that trial that you felt as though hung you? I mean, I think working with the Middle East and the emails that they had shown, the the items that I was bidding with Imad, which were all over. You the should map. have had knowledge that though, those, in fact, were negative. Now, did yeah. he come up to be a witness during your trial? He did not. He did not. He offered testimony, uh, an affidavit. He's abroad, and yeah. they sanitized it, and they said it basically said the truth of what was going on, and the government got it sanitized so that the jury never heard that that you didn't have knowledge. Right. Now, when did it come up that he was a CIA operative? After my, I was uh, sentenced. How did you learn that? I called him and I said, "I just got a six-year sentence for." Whatever conspiracy, was the, whatever conspiracy, and I went through the discovery, and I started. I couldn't really uh, live with the sentence, so I started digging through the discovery. I'm a paralegal, and I started laying out the witnesses, and I put my puzzle together. And 24 hours later, we'd we'd uh, file a motion for a new trial, and based on newly discovered evidence known to the prosecution, and then the government sealed my case. So, sealed your case. Let the people yeah. know. Did you go to jail for six years? I did. So, what happened to the appeal? Um, the appeal, they called it, uh, it was a harmful error. There were some issues of um, law that they were arguing. Um, they said, I won my appeal, that she used the wrong, gui- the judge used the wrong guidelines to sentence me. She found that she um, did not. She said the sentence was fair and that it was um, not a harmful error, that it was a harmless error. So where is your recourse? I mean, you're the second person that was ever charged and convicted of aiding and abetting Iraq during the embargo. I mean, that, that's that's factual. But what was your recourse? Now, I mean, you seem like with someone that didn't have your right, your rights were taken away. If this couldn't all been exposed, even if this guy, Iman, was a, uh, a CIA operative, I mean, that's so important. What did your lawyers say? I mean, I had to go through the appeal process. Then I did a second appeal after the appeal, yeah. and that was denied. And I just ended up doing Under what grounds? Well, I had ineffective assistance of counsel. I mean, that was one ground. And then there were laws, um, there were challenges to, was I charged with the right crime? Was I given the right sentence? Did they use the right guidelines? It just was all shut down. Let's talk a little bit about that because six years uh, seems a little harsh. And, uh, you know, you you provided some other documents that other people that were uh, convicted of these similar sorts of offenses were only given fines and no jail time. Yes. I did a lot of research uh, for my own sentencing because we didn't know where we were going to fall. I mean, the government had asked for 20 years, and my lawyer is saying probation. So we were this far apart. You know, mm-hmm. we're zero to 20. And so I did a lot of digging myself, and I pulled every case that I could find from uh, trade embargoes and shipments and foreign companies and U.S. companies going all around. And I compiled that for my lawyer. So why do you think uh, they were trying to make this example out of you and trying to trump up this sentence and make, were they just, was it for political reasons? Were they trying to, you know, get a notch on their belt? Well, the prosecutor did become the U.S. attorney, so that was important win, and I did not take a plea. I did go to trial. My brother was acquitted, as you know. I was convicted. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, yeah. My mm-hmm. brother was my co-defendant. He was acquitted. Was he actively involved with you? This, or he was just named he was, as a co-defendant? He was named. He owned the company. You were, you were, I was the broker. You were the broker. Okay. Now, it comes out that this was a CIA operative. If I'm a United States attorney, 
and I'm prosecuting you, in reality, the the CIA informant here, uh, uh, Imad, I mean, in reality, you were helping the United States of America in the sense if this equipment was being shipped over there where we could target Abu Dhabi and Abu Dhabi Da, and now we could target them and put one of our smart bombs on his dinner table. As a U.S. attorney, I'd say, look, at unbeknownst to her, but in effect, this was going to help the United States of America take out this this scourge of uh, Saddam Hussein. If anything, I, w- I mean, that was not brought in that because you had knowledge, you didn't have the knowledge that this was going any place other one. But if you did have that knowledge, two was you were helping the United States of America. They said that we were intelligent and we should have known better and that we're smart and... It didn't really apply. I'm going to give you an award trying to help the United <laughs> States of America. Once I learned about what the project was for, um, it was basically for the deck of cards for everybody to have a cell phone in the U.S. to pinpoint their local. Yeah, so, so, it's, so it's a clandestine operation. So unbeknownst to you, unwittingly, so Imad was working with intelligence to, to procure this GSM equipment to give high-level uh, Iraqi government cell officials phones, cell phones yes. so they could be targeted by smart bombs. Yes. yes. Well, right then, I get you know the Medal of Freedom, man. I mean, well, thank you. you were helping the United States of America if, in fact, you had knowledge of it. You know what I'm saying, Carlo? If if she had knowledge that this stuff was going in to take out Saddam Hussein and all his upper echelon, when it's all out in the laundry, what did, what did she do other than help the United States of America? And this is why it's interesting why the case is sealed. What's that, please? Uh, this is why it's interesting why the case is still sealed. This is to it, me, it's. <laughs> if I was to, if I was the CIA operative and I was to bring you on board, and all of a sudden I'm Iman there, and I said, "Listen, look, we're going to do this." Obviously, I can't tell you what it's all about, but you're doing it. But then all of a sudden, Iman should have been able to step up, go on the stand, and say. This was what it was. I'm a CIA operative. I was utilizing her services to get the equipment over there. You know, well, you know, it's uh, it's plausible deniability. They, if the government admitted that, uh, there's a law that we can't target anyone for assassination. It's uh, against the law for CIA to do that. So, well, you know, I mean, that comes into play. But what we've been we've been doing it. Uh, I, I do have my friends in the uh, CIA and with the FBI, and we've been targeting all over the world. So that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. I mean, in reality, real is real, and that that play there we're not supposed to do. But the CIA does it all the time. We know that. But my my point right now, effectively, you went to jail for six years. You were fined over a million dollars. Where where's your recourse now, other than making a great movie about it? I mean, I don't know that I have any recourse. I've, I've done my Did time. Did you ever talk to other United States attorneys, former United States attorneys, about a lawsuit against the United States of America for false imprisonment? No, my family had fought very hard. Uh, they took it to congressmen. They took it to senators. They took it to um, the House Judiciary Committee. They had um, military you know, people. Military people uh, who checked out Imad, and he did check out that this was his role in the government. He was helping the U.S. Where is he now? Do you have a call him? Yeah. Can we call yeah. him now? Yeah. Can we call He's him now Spain. and say, hey, Imad, yeah. what's up? He's in Spain. Come yes. estas? Yes. He's, in he's in Spain. So yeah. does he communicate? He's I guess. He actually he's does. He's, he's, he's he's he does old. communicate? When I call him, and I, I did end up meeting him in London when I came home from prison because I sort of needed closure. Wait, wait, for the movie, did you have an affair with him? No. Oh, I just want to know. <laughs> we can maybe drop that. You had an affair and love conquered the, no. your brain. No. Well, why? We can't do that? I mean, yeah, in the movie. I can tell Tadros. We'll put it like this. Yeah. Who do you want to play anyway in the movie? <laughs> Um, I think they're talking about possibly um, Salma, Salma Hayek. Hayek. Yeah. Good. And then you have a love affair with Iman, <laughs> make him look like a, a young uh, Omar Sharif. And, uh, I mean, we go that way. But And then you make money on the damn movie. But I am really, you know, I'm on a serious note, I'm like, if you told us everything that you told us and it's factual, this is horrific. Yes. Carlo, this I mean, happen, yes. forget about your CIA talking bullshit. All right, please, Carlo. All right, well, I, don't I mean, hear that's, that. that's why the government has an interest in keeping the case sealed. Thank you. That's but the point, point is, yeah. when they could do it behind closed doors and they could have a communication with a judge and say, Your Honor, we'd like to go behind, and this is why we can't bring it out, Your Honor, bring that into a sentence that she's now a cooperating witness with the United States of America. Right now, you have people who are cooperating with the United States, who 
which she is a cooperating person. Hey, I was selling to Iman. I thought they were going somewhere else. She's a cooperating witness. Why didn't it change that way? I believe they were just trying to make an example out of her because of her heritage. They want to try to put a point. Well, hey, what's the heritage again? She's Chaldean. Um, I'm, I'm Chaldean. I'm Christian. You're Iraqi. more American Iraqi. than me. Well, I'm born here. Yeah. Well, my <laughs> mother was born in Sicily. My father was born in Germany. I'm like an immigrant. Because in Michigan, it's a, it's a, there's a huge Arab community. I know. Out of uh, in a community there, I'm very familiar yes. with. Dearborn, with Dearborn, Michigan, and yeah, and then the Oakland, Oakland Michigan, Oakland. Park. Yeah. There was a lot of Christian Iraqis and. Mm. So I think that's that for me personally as a writer, I think that was one of the reasons. But you know, Imad was never <laughs> charged. Was, yeah, no. Was, no. And uh, there was another gentleman that was also Cameron. I forgot his Cameron last name. Cameron Attar. He was also a uh, an asset of the CIA. And he was, was given wow. uh, U.S. citizenship. Yes, um, I believe British citizenship British and a citizen. commendation letter. Yeah. I, I it's just I'm just so baffled by this because if if the facts are what you say exactly. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's impossible that the government could have done something like this. I mean, it's just out. It's an outrage. I would like one day uh, that my case would be unsealed. Maybe that would give me a bit of closure um, or something. I guess I did talk to Imad and I asked him what happened. And he said, you did nothing wrong. He said, your your government. Had well, you know, so. I mean, if you make money from this movie, which I hope you do, my thing would be I'd hire the best appeals United States, former United States attorney lawyers, I'd invest money into that, and I would go right back at them. I mean, because if this case was ever unsealed and you could go as far as to the Supreme Court because you were unlawfully uh, uh, incarcerated, man, you'd you'd have a multi-hundreds of million dollars suit. We had somebody on here, the whistleblower, he got over 120 a uh, million dollars for exposing the crap with the Swiss banks over there in Switzerland about them hiding the accounts. So in reality, he was done wrong, and he got rewarded because he was done wrong. He was a, You could be a whistleblower under the whistleblower statute that you're blowing the whistle on him on right. and about the government, and you're the victim. Plus, no? Plus, they took your motherhood away. You should talk about that, <laughs> which is very important. Well, you had a child. A child? No. No, no. no I mean, I, I lost a lot of time. So marriage, children, yeah. that type of thing. So oh, okay. Was, well, I mean, that's know. all part of the... No, but they made uh, sure at one point that they actually... There was an article about that. Yeah, they, they, they about did. That. They, um, yeah, they made that. sure that I couldn't have any extension, additional extensions. I got six extensions while they vetted this information. So I didn't have to report right away. We had six extensions. We kept arguing yeah. it. So they made sure that I couldn't, you know, have time to prepare for anything. At that time, I was 34, you know, facing that much prison time to kind of um, just have a normal life. And Yeah, but you got six years. Huh? You know, from these uh, guidelines, you, you had to do all, you got six years, you had to do all six years? Four years, eight months, 27 days, about that. Because normally, I mean, the, the sentence guidelines, you, you get cut down. 20%. I think in federal, well, you do 80%. So and I you cooperated with the government. You cooperated with the U.S. attorney, cooperated with the United States Customs, and told them everything. Is there a cooperation statute there as far as to give you leniency on that? I went to trial, so. Did they offer you? What did they offer? Um, they there was any? talk of, of pleas, but uh, there was no federal attorney that I took this case to that said I should take a plea. They said this case well, must be tried. Well, what was the plea? Something publicly like four years. That was it? Four against six? I thought it would be four against 12. I mean, there was talk of it, but no, but they said this case must be tried, and I took it to every federal attorney in Michigan. This is really, so really, really wild. Mm-hmm. As far as I, I mean, I've done a lot of these podcasts, but I'm baffled here. I'm baffled, Carlos, and I don't get baffled too often. I mean, this is something that... Uh, has to be really explored. If, in fact, everything we got here today is the truth, the facts, this is ridiculous. I mean, it's it's beyond ridiculous. And her name was tarnished in the community. And as you know, the Chaldeans are very proud people. That's yeah. a big thing for her, the way that she's looked upon, she and her family after that. So you are looked upon as far as helping the United States against uh, Saddam Hussein. Yeah, they they kind of twisted Against it. Like, the, uh, what's they, what, what is he? He's a what's the two sects of Arabs? Uh, so, Shia, Shia, Sunni, Shia, 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 Shiite, and, and the, Sunnis. Sunni, yeah. and he was a what? He was Sunni. Sunni, yeah. and Saudi Arabia is what? Sunni. 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 
So Sunnis, the decent ones of the two, of the Shiites are, are the uh, Iranian, right? Shiites, Iranians, yes. that's the division. Yes. A lot of people don't understand, yeah. and they pretend to understand. That's why I want to clarify that. Yeah. And uh, so now in your community, you look upon someone that was uh, helping the United States take out the Sunnis. <laughs> well, I, she's from the Christian Iraqis. I know that. Uh, yeah. So, but, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. but why do they hate you? I don't think they hate me. I think it's confusion is, were you helping the enemy on the eve of war or were you helping the U.S.? And I haven't really spoken about any of this. I've just rebuilt my life and gone on my way. But if you were helping the U.S. by dropping uh, these phones out there so we could take out while he's having dinner (laughs) and he was a terrorist and he was attacking American troops, I would have given you an award. Yeah. No yeah, but at the time you had no knowledge at all. It was and yeah, no, I mean that's the other side. Yeah. But when it eventually came out what she was accused of, she was accused of helping the United yeah. States of America, if anything. No? No, but they suppressed that, so it made it seem like she was a traitorous. Yes. Oh, they made yeah. it look like you were yeah. on the yes. uh, Side. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, it didn't come until after my sentence um, that he gave the statement step by step at the risk of his own safety, saying this is what I was doing, this is what was who, going Who gave that statement? Iman. And that was taken and was kept from the trial? Yes. They wiped out parts of it, and they said it wasn't worth the paper it was written on. He was a forgetful old man. But he went to the embassy where he was and made that statement. I mean, I have you gone? You're a writer. You're the screenwriter. Have you gone and got recorded statements from him? We have a little uh, bit to of To me, but that is the smoking gun of guns. I got you. But the story, we touched upon the trial a little bit. The story is more about her survival because she lived a beautiful life before her survival, her downfall, and how she survived the concentration camp, basically. Yeah, yeah. so you were, you were, I mean, you were making good yeah. money. You were probably, yeah, I mean, you know, had a good, good business, yeah. and then all of a sudden you get whacked with this six-year yeah. sentence. So what was that like? You know you, you did nothing wrong, and you're there every day, and you know you can get out. There's hard, exculpatory evidence, and the government's suppressing it. Hard to swallow. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't accept it for the first couple weeks. They said, we're going to sort this out, and you'll be home by Christmas. I went in September. When, what year, when were you incarcerated? What year, uh, what time, from when? when? 2014, uh, 2009 to 2014, so September. So you've been out since 2014. Yeah. Yep, and then you started to write this story? Two years ago. Two years ago. And uh, how come you didn't finish the freaking book? She's responsible for the book. I, I'm just I a screenwriter. The well, book was written about me. From a book, you know what I mean? I mean yeah. it's a, no, I took a different turn with the script. More how she survived the prison. So how did you survive? How did it's you, a beautiful how did you... story that she bought in her business <laughs> acumen. Yeah. And she created an enterprise, and that's the beauty of the story, how she twisted her did life. You, did you, now are you back in business? Yeah. You're making some potatoes now. Yeah, I'm doing okay. You're doing okay now. Doing I mean, okay. You, I, don't have to buy just... you, I don't have to buy you lunch. You no. have food money? Okay. <laughs> okay. No, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm selling software, and I'm working. I'm working well, software? Hold on a second. <laughs> but it, only in the U.S. for you mental better, health. <laughs> yeah, mental. but you better, you better no, make yeah, sure Department of Commerce. She's not exporting No, I'm not exporting Well, I'm in the... I'm in the security software too, and you know, if I tell you what, if we start selling some of our stuff to any place outside this country, I demand that we get clarification from the Commerce Department what we're doing yeah. is 100%. Otherwise, they'll have me in a jackpot, you know, Carl? In the camp. Um, I use my business skills to kind of survive after I realized I might be there for the duration, which was very hard. Were you going to cook there or what? Um, well, I was, I would have been the cook. I, I like to cook, cook. And then I, um, you know, I, I wanted to get some brownies for my bunkie who had cancer. And then I got fired from my cook job. And then they made me an orderly. They you didn't put me, marijuana in brownies, No, no, no. Oh. I just wanted chocolate. So we, um, they made me an orderly. Where were you? What federal place? <laughs> At Kentucky. I was oh, down okay. in uh, Lexington. At the camp, I, I wanted to walk off. Oh, you were in a you were a, you were in a, uh, a minimum. None. I mean, I could have. Oh yeah, no, I, I know, I know. I said that wasn't the hardest. They looked at Jordan Belfort, that creep, my old client, that creep. He brags about doing 15 months. He robbed 200 million dollars. He killed more old people with their life savings. And this creep, he brags about playing tennis in the camp. And he gets out after 60 months. Now he's doing motivational. I like to punch him in the face. He robbed more people, and he kept. He only paid back 11 million dollars of the 200 million. I mean, stuff like that drives me crazy. Now you did six years. If it's if it is what you just told me mm-hmm. and Carlo, my God, Carlo, I, it's, and me. 
Because I, I mean, it's story. it's. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been involved with this? Two years. Oh, you guys met two years ago? Yes. So you heard the story and then you decided? Well, I, initially I didn't want to touch it because it involved a lot of things and I was busy. But yeah, they're going to put a ufa. What do you call that thing? When they put a whack job on you. There's an Arab saying. Oh, uh, a fatwa. A what? A fatwa. Fatwa, fatwa. 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 same fatwa. shit. Whatever no, I don't care. You. I'm an American citizen. Yeah, no, but, but they're going to put a fatwa on you. But, but this is what touched me. I was sitting there in the, in the conference room in their business, yeah. and the mother and her brother and her were talking to me, and one by one, they started bawling their eyes out. And I had to take a deep breath. And then the mother explained to me, you know, the love of a mother, how she fell on her feet, telling them, telling them, please don't have them take me to prison. So, and the mother is explaining this to me. And I'm like, and they were bawling their eyes out, right? So I had to go to the bathroom. I said, oh, God, I'm caught. So then I took it. I had to, because if, if an entire family is crushed so deeply, for me as a filmmaker, that's a motivation. So I want yeah, to- I, I know. And we, yeah. I mean, it could come a lot out of, the, out of a movie like this yeah. is, the, is the realization mm-hmm. that you have to know what the hell you're doing at all times. Yeah. And I guess naiveness, mm-hmm. if that's in fact what it is, mm-hmm. is, not, is not going to help you. Mm-hmm. If they're looking at you for committing some sort of a crime and you're naive about it, <laughs> it's, it's I'm I'm baffled, Carlo. I mean, you know, we've seen Carlo, this. Carlo, you bring many a lot times. of people in here, Carlo. <laughs> Carlo bro, you, now I'm freaking baffled, all right, Carlo? When you have the full resource of the United States government Next against you. Next you're gonna you, bring Al Sharpton in here, tell me he does no taxes. Stop it, all right, please, Carlo. All right. So, Dawn, you know, we, we had some conversations, you know, leading up to this, uh, and I was really inspired by what you said about, you know, uh, the, your work now with uh, helping uh, women that were incarcerated reentry, and, you know, it's something that's commonly overlooked in, uh, in, in the public sphere. So talk a little bit about that, if you can. Um, well, you know, going through the system, and, and I'm definitely the exception, not the rule. I had a lot of family support, and I was able to kind of bounce back, um, not quickly, but it, I was able to get back through, you know, I'm, I'm very much educated, have a great family system, have an amazing family um, to help other people and work with charities. Uh, women coming out of the system have just, a lot of them have been railroaded. They've lost everything. Um, jobs were felons, hard to get work. Uh, there's lots of barriers to employment. So I work with um, two nonprofits that, that help reentry and re- incarceration. Yeah, but you know, my, my experience again with people incarcerated, and I, that was been my life. And the thing is that a lot of uh, every time that I see cooperation, they minimize any kind of sentencing, you know. And I mean, you cooperated one hundred percent, Mike. You didn't block anything. No. Was, what was the money laundering? That's I, I keeps jumping up. I don't know because I had no restitution. No, but what was the money laundering charge? What did they say during the trial? <sighs> That's that to me is a big question. You know, I don't know because the funds were they originated from a company in Jordan through Germany to the Bank of New York. You're not and faking to me, are you? No, you're not fibbing to me. No, no, I'm a people reader. You're not fibbing <laughs> no. me, right? I mean, that's I mean, the questions I need to have answered before I drink your Kool Aid. I <laughs> want to know how the hell and what was that charge and what did that charge say? I mean, that's got to be wrecking, Carlo. I mean, I, we, I, we know. Be the but we is know that, that in the record, federal prosecutors they routinely add on charges. Like they, no, they but said, if she's convicted of a false it, statement, that's another add-on charge, a thousand one charge. They, they do that Carlo, all the time. When you have a federal trial, and when that charge is there, they have to establish how they are charging you. Here's the proof: she didn't report four point nine million to the United States IRS. You don't understand something. That's a serious charge. If that's one of the charges, every one of those charges have to have. A, re- a reason behind it, Carlo. It's not just, well, maybe, they just do it. Maybe they just look through the records and they could say there's a pattern here. There's a, a no. structuring of the, no, of the transactions. Carlo. Money laundering is an established charge of the federal government. And money laundering has to show how did she money launder it? Did she take that four point mil- million and run it through Iman Jordan? And then they, they got it in trading stamps back? Did report? That's my problem. Yeah. Here. No. no fibbing me now. No, we, we didn't. Um, money was returned to Imad to his company. Yeah. Part of the ill-gotten or from the illicit trade would that be under money laundering? Could be. You we see, did. that would be that would come out. Yeah. 
Say, if, I, if like all of a sudden you hired me to look at this trial, I would take all that out, Carl and I, and we'd look through all the different court records, what was the statements, what was presented to the government to establish that charge of money laundering. Well, it was proceeds of uh, an illegal transaction. Right, but you'd have to see what the illegal under embargo. transaction You can't take money from an embargoed country. Knowing that what mm -hmm. I was selling was going to Iraq. But it wasn't. It was... For the U.S., that's why this... That's the point. That's the point, Carl. Boy, this is a really a, a mishmash here. We're going to have to keep in contact with you because, first of all, I want to part in a movie. You know, I've done, I'm in the Irishman, very big part in the Irishman. Uh, so I want to part. What, what part do you think I can play in your thing? Uh, you in the prison. Me... He's the prison guy. He's the, no, I don't the prison, the prison guard. guard. No, 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 no. Come on. I mean, you could it's be a good Imad. part. It's a good part. You... Or Imad, yeah. Imad. Did he have a heavy accent? He, he did. did. He did. <laughs> no, he's really a good. I mean, he was really um, pro U.S. The guy yeah. was. He hated Saddam. And, and honestly. Wow, I just. That kills me. I mean, he should have been like. Held more, into more a pedestal. More productive. He should have been So more now part of our movie is you as a scriptwriter. I'm the also movie. the director, FYI. Just director also. <laughs> so you're going to take her incarceration. Or, I mean, you're not going to go to the meat of the whole case? No, I'm not. I'm going to concentrate on how she survived the prison because that's more entertaining. Why wouldn't you go to the meat of the case? I did to go me, a the little fact, bit. This opened, meat of the, the case the, is the whole case. The movie opens up in the, in the trial, and then we go to the prison. I want to know... Something ain't be, fish. Something's fishy here, Carl. <laughs> I don't Something is fishy here, A lot of movies have been made about this type of stuff, and I want something more entertaining, and I did it more artistic. How she survived the prison because of her social... Yeah, but social it, status. Being, right, but we, you've got to allude mm -hmm. to the wrongful conviction. Of course. Otherwise, your whole of basis course. is going to be because you whole, want people to feel for Dawn that she was illegally convicted. In prison, when she makes her calls to her mom and how she talks about herself and how she got in cars, it talks all that's about That's the that. whole story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great movie. But I like the whole it? thing. Yeah. If, in fact, you're telling me the truth, Dawn, I like the, I like the whole story because to me, you're an American hero. You're not a you're not a you're not a felon. You're an American hero. If anything, you got caught up in a web of where people have to learn when you do a dealings outside of this country or within this country, you have to know what the hell you're doing. She's an inspiration to women who are wrongfully incarcerated, number one. Women who have been broken down by the system and how they should survive in a small communal environment like the way she did. That is very important for America right now. Women who are broken down, not only by the system, but in those part of the same environment she was put in and how she survived, how she inspired people around her in prison. Well, all, that's all, all respect, Mr. Director, <laughs> Mr. Writer. The story, that's the second part of the story. Right. The real meat of this story it is, is touched upon. going to jail. It is touched upon in the film. Carla, you look, uh, you're looking like surprised. <laughs> no, because I think that it's a really inspiring story. You yeah. came out the other side and you're doing positive things. And I did, but there are still questions as to who were my co-conspirators. Um, Thank you. Was, uh, was, was Imad no, an unindicted co-conspirator? Yes, he was. He named? was that's yes, he was. all going to come out when the case is unsealed. And, my, and, and I, I, I think so. How, okay, where are we going with that? That's a good, that's a good question right now. Yeah. Where are we at with unsealing this case? Well... The judge is still on the bench, and I don't think I have any well, hope well, going back to ask her. Well, who's this judge? She's in Detroit. Well, you know what? Get a name. Carlo, I'm writing a letter to that judge from me. I want this thing opened up. You had a woman you sentenced to jail on all these fugazi things, and you've got to step up. What's her name, the judge? Uh, judge Batani. Is she a Republican pointing or Democratic? I think she's a Democrat. Okay. Well, you know what? We should write a letter to a Carlo. Okay? Yeah. I want to write a letter from me to that judge saying, after I looked at it, I've been in law enforcement my whole life. This is a miscarriage of justice. People are known to make mistakes, and I believe you made a mistake now. Please look back at it. You can't give those six years back to this young lady, but you certainly can make the truth surface to the top. The one thing that I was always um, frustrated about is the governance motion or response to our motion for a new trial was filed in camera, ex parte, under seal. So we've never seen that. And uh, that is something that may be... Interesting, to, to say the least, Carla. This is very interesting. And we're still going to be looking at this. Thank door. you. I mean, it, to me, it's unsettling. And you Have know, you spoken to a constitutional lawyer on that? Because that seems like it's... 
Well, like my that. friend from uh, Boston there, my friend uh, that was uh, with uh, Epstein there was accused of uh, Dershowitz? Yeah, Dershowitz is a good friend of mine. I'd love to send him a little letter on this. I mean, he'd be a great lawyer to go at this thing and just bring the facts out, the truth out. I mean, wouldn't hurt the movie either to expose, you know, that you're making a move on him. You make a move on him, you know. He hits you with a knife, you hit him with a gun. You make a move, you know. Okay? That's from a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Untouchables, right? All, all I want to say is very interesting, Dawn. And I, Thank you. I'm sorry what you've gone through, but in life is you look at people a lot worse off. Yeah. And you say to yourself, my life ain't so bad. But yet if this happened, and this is factual, this is one of the most miscarriage justices that I've ever heard. Call yeah, I mean, I, I had support wild. from congressmen that said, said yes, this is wrong, but nobody could correct it. Well, I mean, I think that's that's another avenue mm-hmm. is congressional guys, intelligence committee. You know, Peter King, our guy, he's still there. Peter King, he's one of the heads of the intelligence committee. I mean, this is if this is brought out, and this is brought out to people. I mean, you, you would say, well, why is it being sealed? All right, we know he's an informant. That came out during the trial that he was a CIA informant? No, after. After, but I mean, he's been named as a CIA informant. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, here's what we do. Every time we have our podcast, (laughs) this is going to be an easy one for you. We ask the guest... Your punk of the week. Now, punk of the week could be a situation, could be a person, something that really bothers you this week. Please go, Dawn. <laughs> this case still bothers me every week. And that's your punk of the week. I'm sorry. Incarcerated for six years for something you didn't do. That's a good punk yeah, of the week. That's a punk for a lifetime. <laughs> Carla, what's your uh, act this time? Um... It's a lot, a lot. Um, I would have to say a lot of the people that didn't like The Irishman. I thought it was a great movie, and there's a lot of people that are just uh, trashing it. No, well, no, there's one person. Andrew <laughs> Fiza, New York Post, full-page article, worst movie ever, worst acting, worst director. Andrew Fiza, I have one question for you. What, you got denied a pass for our world premiere? I guess that's why. I've never heard a person talk the way you did about an elegant movie like this. As far as I guarantee you, as sure as I'm sitting here, it will be named as a nominee for the Best Picture of the Year. And what are you going to do then, Andrea? I guess you know more than people know about movies. And I've been in a lot of movies. And if you think that acting suck, you suck. That's it. Simple. And uh, that one down, Lance. I saw The Irishman. I, I thought it was one of uh, Scorsese's finest. But I think it's going to be very close to The Joker. It's going to be a competitive moment in, at the Oscars. It's either yeah. that or The Joker. Yeah, I, 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 I agree I saw with the you Joker. on that. I was blown away by it too. So I agree, but he wasn't acting too much. Yeah. The Quinn was the psychopath that he was. It's easy to play a psychopath, <laughs> and that's why it was easy for me to play who I played. People actually called me up and said, "Now we know you're a made man, Bo." So if I want to get you for a film, how do I get through to you? To Mike? Uh, to Carlo. Carlos, the agent. Yeah, okay, yeah, I got you. yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, that's uh, so. Your punk of the week is. I guess uh, yeah, I agree with him. The Irishman. Why is everybody? So Picking on the Irish is good. How do they get to you and you? Tell our audience. Through Lance. Um, How did we get to you? Do you have Twitter or email? Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have Facebook, Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm getting How on get social media. How did it get to you? I already, <laughs> Don Marie I already uh, thumbed you up on Facebook. Okay, so how did it get to you on Facebook? Lance Kowas. Uh, you got to spell it, man. My, L- my list is... L-A-N-C-E-K-A-W-A-S. Very easy. And I'm on Twitter, and I'm on yes, give Instagram. us your Twitter, because I'm sure or people Or you could go to Carlo. Yeah. Carlo, tell them how to get us, and we can refer them over. Yeah, so, I mean, you can follow us. We're on social media. We're at One Tough Podcast on Twitter. Bo is at Bo Deedle on Twitter and at The Real Bo Deedle on Instagram. You can send us any emails, onetoughpodcast at gmail.com. Um, we'll definitely keep you updated as the movie gets more into development. I'm sure people are going to be amped up to see it's this. Well, listen, when people hear this and hear what I heard today, you're going to have a lot more support you than And you also know. The, the book. The book, uh, yeah. So yeah, let's keep going. Where are you at with this book? Um, sample chapters are done. I'm waiting for the final release in December. And then... Wow. Mike, you, yeah. Mike is helping Mike is helping me. Um, yeah, let's published. get that book and out. Yeah, book so Mike... Yeah. Yeah, it'd be, a, it'd be a great book to take on and where people think that, you know, you're, you're making a couple of bucks and you think everything is good. You got to know what you're doing. 
Yep. Really got to know what yeah. you're doing. So uh, as we get news, we'll we'll keep it out there for our listeners as the book is uh, comes along and as the movie comes along. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be excited to see yeah. this. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Dawn, for coming. And Dawn, one more thing. I'm, little, I'm sorry, I'm a little rough. I'm no, little no, rough it's okay. Whatever. No, you're good. This is yeah, awesome. I'm, a little, I'm a little rough. <laughs> I was doing good, fellas. What, when you were. What was the last time I told somebody, Carlo? I was talking to somebody. I said, I want you to tell me the truth now. About oh yesterday, so a guy's talking about buying airplanes. So my friend, my cousin Vinny's with me, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to invest money in there. Mm-hmm. So I get the guy on the phone. Vinny told me, oh, he's worth a hundred million, and now he's buying planes. He's a seven thirty-seven ones that crashed. What's the name? The yeah, the eight hundred Max. Max. And he puts it on his website. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 737 Max. I ain't flying on that thing. I don't care if they're fixed. And then all of a sudden he goes, oh, I made a mistake. I said, well, here, I got one question for you, right? You know what I do for a living. I investigate people. I know what people are worth. I know what they're not worth. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to tell you right now. What is your net worth? Don't answer it because let me tell you, I know what your net worth is. So answer the question good now. Uh, Well, you sold every... Probably 1.2. I go, billion? He goes, no, million. And he was stuttering because you know why? I know the truth. And when you know the truth, you know what questions to ask. And then the guy went, humana, humana, humana. That was yesterday, Carl. It was. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Again. Thank you, Mr. Dino. I okay. appreciate it. Dawn, thanks so much for flying out, especially for this. Yes. Uh, and if anyone wants to participate in any of the charity uh, initiatives that you're part of, is there a website for that? Yeah, drivingsuccessfullives.com. Okay. Great. Fantastic. Thank you Thank so you. much. Lots of luck, and I'll go in your movie. Oh, yeah, you I don't take no bit parts either. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.